Just pray for me. I want to be a blessing to you. And I want to read from Acts chapter 1, verse number 9. Would you stand if we read, if you'd like to, Acts chapter 1, verse number 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Father, we ask you now to help us. Lord, it's a real privilege to be here today, and we thank you for this church and this pastor. Thank you, Lord, for the work they've done down through the years. But Lord, I desire now to be just a blessing. I pray that you'd help us together, give us clarity of speech. Lord, most of all, I need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Lord, I stand today where the arm of flesh will surely fail me. I need you to touch me and use me today. May you give us a tender heart, Lord, to the Word of God. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. I want to lay a, a lengthy introduction. My introduction will be longer than my message. So just bear with me for a few minutes this morning as we lay the introduction. I want to go back to the years like 1938, 39, and 40, those years prior, just prior to World War II. And it was in those days, in 1938 and 39, it's been almost 22 years since we've come through World War I. It was during those days that we've just come through the Depression. And many of you remember those days of the Depression. I remember how Dad said as a little boy, they split Finland and sell it for three bristles for a quarter, having to be in the bread lines and all of those things. Many of you remember that. 1940, names like Sapan, Bataan, Corregidor, Luzon, uh, that was just some far off places of real estate halfway around the world uh, in a place called the Philippine Islands. It was in those days, 1930s, that Franklin Delano Roosevelt was elected the president of the United States of America. It was on the same day, the day after President Roosevelt was elected, that there was a man by the name of Adolf Hitler who was a corporal in the army that had risen to the high rank of the leading official of Germany and he began to lead the Nazi regime. Then, 1940, on 1940, we had little interest in this man by the name of Adolf Hitler. He was goose-stepping away across Europe, marching to the drumbeat of war. He was making strange alliances with Italy and Austria. And strange things were happening in our country. Then suddenly, on December the 7th, 1941, 7.55 a.m. time, on a Sunday morning, 360 Japanese dive bombers that attacked our fleet there at Pearl Harbor. I mean, they came in on a sneak attack. Uh, at the same time, there were ambassadors from Japan uh, in Washington uh, talking about peace. Uh, and they dealt our air defense, our naval defeat, uh, our naval fleet, a great defeat on that day. Uh, 2,403 men were killed. Uh, 188 aircraft were lost. Uh, we lost the battleship California. We lost the battleship West Virginia. The battleship Arizona was sunk. Uh, uh, many destroyers were lost. Uh, 
And there, there that was on December the 7th. Now, halfway around the world, uh, in Singapore, Guam, the Wake Islands, that uh, Japan attacked there also. Uh, on December the 8th, 1941, President Roosevelt uh, declared the United States officially uh, at war with Japan. Now, at the same time, we've got a confrontation with Germany there in Europe. And now we've got one with their Japan in the South Pacific. Now, beginning of World War II, there was a man by the name of George, General George C. Marshall. He was the chief of staff. And he chose Dwight D. Eisenhower to oversee the war efforts on a global scale. Well, Mr. Eisenhower went to Europe impairing for the invasion of Europe to get ready uh, for Germany and for Hitler. Uh, at the same time, uh, uh, General, uh, General Moore and General Marshall, uh, they appointed a man by the name of General Douglas MacArthur uh, to oversee the war efforts in the South Pacific Islands. Uh, now, in my library, I have a book about this thick uh, concerning the life of this man uh, by the name of Douglas General MacArthur. Uh, I believe he was a great soldier. He was uh, one of a few statesmen that we've had. Uh, I begin to read how he was wounded three times, uh, declarated 13 times, uh, fighted for bravery in action seven times. Uh, he was a man who greatly loved uh, our country. Uh, and there he was in the Philippine Islands overseeing the war efforts there. Now, Japan felt like they needed uh, of the Philippine Islands so they could launch their air fleet further out in the war. Uh, well, MacArthur and his troops, uh, they fought courageously for four long months, uh, uh, fighting and fighting and fighting. Uh, finally, they had to withdraw to the Bataan Peninsula. Uh, I'll say more about that in a minute. Uh, Bataan was an, a symbol of Allied resistance. Uh, Japan said it felt like there was a spiritual resistance uh, on Bataan. Uh, and Japan felt at all costs uh, uh, that Bataan had to be liquidated. Uh, now, Bataan was an island 25 miles long uh, and 20 miles wide. Uh, at this time, MacArthur, he wires Washington, D.C. Uh, he said, President Roosevelt, you're more concerned about the mother in the living room, talking about Europe, uh, while they're raping and assaulting the daughter in the bedroom. Uh, he said, we don't have enough material. Uh, we don't have enough manpower. Uh, we're being overrun. We need more help. Uh, Finally, uh, MacArthur had to leave Bataan, uh, and he set up his operation from the island of Corregidor. Uh, now, Corregidor was called the Crimson Rock. Uh, it was there three and a half miles of rock, uh, solid rock island, caves in that thing. Uh, it was there that thousands and thousands and thousands uh, of gallons of American uh, and Filipino blood was shed uh, along with the Japanese. Uh, how they were there fighting at Bataan uh, and Corregidor. Uh, Mr. MacArthur received a message from the Japan general, uh, and he said, Your prestige and honor have been upheld. Uh, however, in order to avoid needless bloodshed uh, and save your troops, uh, uh, you are advised to surrender. Uh, you don't know what MacArthur's answer was. Uh, he said, 
Step up uh, the motor rounds. Uh, uh, step up the firing power uh, and let them know we've anchored in. Uh, I'm glad that was the day when men fought battles uh, uh, to win battles. Uh, that wasn't the day when they burned their draft cards uh, and said we're conscientious objectors. Uh, I want to thank God that King David, that when he took on Goliath, my brother, uh, he was not a conscientious objector, uh, uh, but he said, me and God, that uh, uh, God and me and five smooth stones, that uh, the number of grace can handle this giant. Uh, well, on March the 12th, 1942, uh, uh, just prior to baton falling, uh, after the third demand by President Roosevelt, uh, Mr. MacArthur had to leave the island of Corregidor. Uh, he went to the southern tip of the Philippines, that, and he said, let this be known to all, that I'm leaving over my repeated protest, that, March the 16th, 1942, that, now MacArthur's been ordered by President Roosevelt, that, uh, to leave the Philippine Islands altogether, that, uh, go to Australia, uh, regroup the forces, that, plan new battle strategy, that, and then plan on coming back, that, uh, to win in American style, that, and it was there on the flight deck ladder of a DC-3 airplane that he looked into the eyes of the Filipino soldiers. That he stood there and he saluted those men. That out there in the field were 40,000 plus American troops that all over those islands. That and here's what he said. This phrase later become that a household word around the free world. That he said, "I, General Douglas MacArthur." That, I'll give you my word that I shall return. I'll keep the flag flying, boys. He said, I'm coming back. And with that, he saluted and turned around. The engines began to crank up. A plane after plane began to leave. Can't you see those brown skinned Filipino soldiers? As they watched that great general, that, their great benefactor from America, as he began to lead and plane after plane after plane, that, but all listen behind, that, I was 40,000 troops, that, in the field, that was the leading officer, that, Lieutenant General Jonathan Wainwright, that, Mr. Wainwright and his troops, that, I began to fight and hold on, that, on April the 3rd, 1942, uh, uh, Bataan was attacked. Uh, I told you earlier that Japan felt like Bataan uh, had to be liquidated at all costs. Uh, we had 10,000 men uh, anchored in on that island. Uh, and Japan sent 50,000 troops. Uh, I mean, the best they had. Uh, they said wave after wave after wave. Uh, they said they were literally the Japanese uh, that hit the Constantine wire, uh, be cut down by the American machine guns, uh, uh, blazing out the bullets, uh, and the Japanese would fall and hit the Constantine wire, uh, and they'd use that as a stepping stone, as a platform. Uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of Japanese that uh, uh, died there. Uh, oh, it was five to one odds. Uh, and finally, our men uh, had to pull back. Uh, listen, after 27 days, uh, of living hell uh, on May the 6th, 1942. Uh, let me back up two days. May the 4th. Uh, on May the 4th, uh, they said they was a bomb and hit uh, that island every five seconds. Uh, they bombed it day and night. Uh, I mean, 27 days uh, of living hell. Uh, and finally, they had to retreat. Uh, and finally, uh, uh, Lieutenant General Jonathan Wainwright uh, 
he said these words. Uh, he began to wire President Roosevelt from that island. Uh, he said, there's a limit to human endurance. Uh, he said, with respect, uh, uh, with respect of regrief, I feel it is my duty to my country, uh, to my gallant troops, uh, to end this useless effusion of blood uh, and human sacrifice. Uh, and then he said these words, uh, with profound regret and gallant pride in my troops, uh, I go to meet the, I go to meet the Japanese. Uh, uh, goodbye, Mr. President. Uh, and that's when they took the island of Bataan uh, and Corregidor. Uh, and then they were marched off. Uh, then we have that not famous, but the infamous, that uh, uh, Bataan Death March. Uh, how many of you know what the Bataan Death March was all about? Uh, the Bataan Death March. Uh, they had those 20,000 plus troops that they captured. Uh, they marched our men 70 miles in the hot tropical sun. Most of them had been wounded. They had malaria, dysentery. They were sick. They'd been living on 15 ounces of food a day. They were just weak and anemic. And the Japanese began to march them 70 hot miles. 70 long miles. And those that begin to get sick. I mean, it's awful. If you'll read about it, it's awful. They'd bare them. They'd cut their heads off. Out of those, out of those thousands, 10,000 died. And many was unaccounted for. And three and a half years, they kept the men that lived in concentration camps. And you've read, you've seen pictures. Uh, you heard what they've done to those men. Uh, those Oriental people know how to torture a man uh, beyond human description. Uh, I can see as they torture Wainwright uh, as the leading officer uh, trying to get the military secrets of MacArthur. But he'd say, name, uh, rank, and serial number. Uh, that's the way every good soldier does. Uh, when he's taken as a prisoner of war. Uh, but all oh, listen. Days turn into weeks, weeks into months, uh, months into three and a half years. Uh, can't you see as they're trying to encourage one another? Uh, uh, don't give up. Uh, uh, don't sell out. Uh, uh, don't give over to the enemy. Uh, uh, surely he'll be coming. Uh, surely MacArthur will be coming. Uh, listen, uh, on October the 20th, 1944, uh, the sea's horizon begin to darken. Uh, at the side of hundreds of ships in the Pacific, uh, a fleet of 650 war vessels that uh, on board an army force of four army divisions, uh, and after that established the beachhead, uh, uh, General Douglas MacArthur waited ashore, uh, and he said, I have returned. Uh, I have returned. Uh, I was preaching along these lines one night, and there's a Filipino man there. Uh, he said, I remember it. Uh, I was a little old boy. Uh, and he said you'd thought it was Christmas in the Philippine Islands. He said they were running and shouting through the streets. MacArthur has returned. MacArthur has returned. And a few days later there at Corregidor in Bataan, of the 503rd Paratroop Regiment, they began to bail out. And they got our boys out of the concentration camps. And the war came to an end. You say, preacher, what in the world are you trying to tell us? In Acts chapter number one, I find a little ragtime army band of a few soldiers. They marched with their captain of their salvation, the conqueror of Calvary. And there he is on that little old hill. And he begins to rise out of their side. I can see him waving goodbye. 
see you, Lord. Love you, Jesus. And two men stood by them in white apparel and said, You men of Galilee, the same Jesus, the same Jesus, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. And for 2,000 years now, the church of the living God, through the catacombs of Rome, all oh, through the trail of blood, all oh, down through the years, We've been a stand in the sky, and we've been a watching, and a waiting, and a listening. But glory to God, our sun gold and daybreak, one of these mornings, one of these nights, hallelujah, he's coming, he's coming. He'll be back, he'll be back. Bible said this same Jesus. This same Jesus. I just want to try to stir your pure minds by the way of remembrance for just a second. I want to just talk for a few seconds about the facts of his coming. Now you know what? Yeah, there's the certainty. Listen, you know this. I'm not you listen, you've heard second coming preaching. You hear it from this pulpit. You've heard the doctrine down through the years. One out of twenty five verses in that New Testament. It's not the optional note. It's the melody of the book, buddy. It's the melody of the song of grace. He's coming again. He's one out of 25 verses says he's coming again, coming again, coming again, coming again. He wants us to take courage. There's the certainty of his coming. We live in a day of uncertainty. A day of shifting standards. Uh, all kind of uncertainties in this hour. Uh, a lot of people are swapping ships. Uh, some are leaving the church. Uh, falling by the wayside. Uh, but I tell you, there's one thing we can be certain about. Uh, he's coming again. It's a confirmed certainty. Uh, over and over I can stand here and quote, and you've heard it quoted. Uh, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Uh, by Hebrews 10, 37 said, For yet a little while, uh, and he that shall come will come, uh, and he will will not tarry. You don't have to worry about him tarrying his coming. But when it's right, when the time is right, he'll be here. But then there's, there's the cleansing thought of his coming. It'll make you want to clean up. It'll make you want to get ready. It'll make you want to get ready, buddy. Here while I just come back from a meeting up in Maryland last week, week before I was in Atlanta, week before that I was in Florida, had 12 hours each weekend with my family. I came out of Florida on Friday night. I left that meeting deep down in Florida. I drove 11 hours. I was coming to meet my bride. I was coming to see my family. And she said, big boy, I'll be up waiting on you. I'll be looking for you to come. See, she knew I was coming. And she was ready. She was waiting on me. Listen, as he his bride, as his building, as his body. I believe we ought to be waiting and looking and stay clean and live right, brother. But then there's the comforting thought of his coming. 
Oh, listen, there's a comfort. Wow, listen. Paul said, if in this life only we had hope of men, we'd be of all men most miserable. You go down to nursing home or you go in the hospital and there lay somebody and they've just said, uh, uh, you got a tumor, it's malignant, and, and, and we can't give you, you don't even have a 75, 25% chance. It looks like all hope's gone. Lay a diamond ring in front of them. That don't mean nothing. I lay a brand new car in front of them. That don't mean nothing. I lay the keys to a big house down there. That don't mean a thing. But if they're saved and born again and you begin to talk about Jesus coming back, they'll say, you know, what preacher that's right he may be back tonight hey friend it'll comfort your heart in sorrow and in sickness and in these last days brother I remember when dad passed away 19 years he had preached and pastored had a white horse on his pulpit had a white horse on his mailbox he'd try to start preaching on tithing and wind up riding a white horse man he'd preach on the second coming and he had cancer and he came down and we knew he was about to die he said son do you love me and I said yes daddy he said you take one of them old Schofield Bibles I wore out put it in my casket put my index finger on Job 19.25 he said I want the skin worms and the maggots and whatever else comes to crawl out of this body to know one day I'm a coming out of here. And Job said, for I know my Redeemer liveth and he shall stand the latter day upon the earth and though my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God and not another though my reins be consumed with it. Oh, it's a comforting hope. It's comforting. You know what's amazing? <laughs> Them old timers that died, died shouting, died kicking out the traces and they don't know that you ain't supposed to do it in 1990. They don't know times have changed and a lot of Baptists have left their shout. Some have lost their shout and some's ashamed of their shout. But you wait till them graves kick open like pepper box lids and the redeemed of the Lord come out of there and sun meeting going to get on like you ain't never seen. Oh, it's a comforting thought the certainty of His coming, but then there's the characteristics. What do you mean characteristics? I can tell you how He's going to come. Well, you say, what do you mean? Well, the Bible said, He shall so come in like manner as you've seen Him go. Now, my feeble mind don't know any Greek or any Hebrew, but it tells me if I can figure out how He went, I can tell how He's going to come. You know how He went away? He went away personally. That was the resurrected Son of Almighty God. He got on the cloud and He personally went up to heaven. You know how he's going to come back? Personally. This same Jesus. Why, if Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John showed up and began to sing, Welcome home, church, I'd be disappointed. If Moses and Elijah and Abraham rode out the red carpet and said, Welcome home, I'd be disappointed. But when this Bible said this same Jesus, same one fed 5,000, raised Lazarus from the dead, walked on the water. Oh, this same one that died, conquered death, hell in the grave, and arose. When it says this same Jesus, that encourages me for him to know that he thinks enough about his bride. He's going to come back personally. Come back personally for his bride. But not only was it, they see him go away personally, they saw him go away visibly. They watched him. They watched him. And you know what? 
Oh, listen, I know the Bible said in Revelation 1, every eye shall see him and also they which pierced him. That's talking about when he comes back in his revelation. But I've got news for you, every born-again believer, every living born-again believer, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, is going to see him. We're going to see him and we shall be like him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. If the gates were wood and if the streets were knee-deep in mud and it's not going to be that way, don't worry about it. But if they were word. Listen, Jesus is going to make heaven for me and my loved ones that are saved there and to lay down this robe of flesh, never to be bothered with this old corrupt nature anymore. That'd be heaven for me, friend. The same Jesus, they saw Him personally, they saw Him visibly, but may I say, He's going to come back swiftly. Swiftly. Now, I know the Bible said in Matthew 24, the Bible said Matthew 24, 27, For as the light that shineth out of the east cometh unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. I know that's talking about His revelation. But now, if He's coming back that quick in His revelation, I believe He's coming back quick in the rapture, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Now, can you imagine? They tell me light travels at 186,000 miles per second. I can't, my computer don't register that. 186,000 miles per second, that's how fast the light travels. If you could get on the tallest mountain in the world, take some kind of atomic high-powered rifle and shoot that thing and that bullet travel at the speed of light, it'd go around the world 25,000 miles in circumference seven times, pass through the same bullet in your body, the same hole in your body, before you could bat your eyes. Now that's fast. That's fast. When I plead guilty, I've always loved speed. I've always, I just plead guilty. I'm sorry if there's a state trooper here. I just plead guilty. I mean, I used to drive them old fast cars, them old hot rods, and them 396 Chevelles, and them 427 Chevelles. I just drive, I mean, swap them gears here, that rubber. I just, it's just in me. It's, I get on them airplanes now. And that old pilot gets out there and them engines go, man, they get to, I say, drop the clutch, drop the clutch. Man. But can you can you imagine, friend, when he steps out and says, "Come up hither," and I mean we're going to flash out of here. Somebody said we're headed out like Superman and coming back like the Lone Ranger. I say, Hallelujah! Then secret. Now, far as the world was concerned, the Jerusalem Gazette. And uh, the Jericho news wasn't there to watch him go away that day. It was a secret ascension. And as far as the world's concerned, he's coming back for the bride like a thief in the night. He don't have to steal the church he bought and paid for it. But as far as the world's concerned, he'll be here and gone. If I was going to rob your house, you know, when I'd do it, I'd do it right now. I'd rob it right now. I'd have me a walkie-talkie in the car, sell your phone, call my boys, say they're over here at Pleasant Hill, they're shouting, they're drunk on the Holy Ghost, hit their house. Get in there. And listen, if you ever go home and your house is ransacked, tore upside down, everything, that's not a professional thief. That's some dope, dope addict, some junkie trying to get something to make a little money. Professional thief will come in your house. He'll take the real silver, the real gold, the precious heirlooms, the real diamonds, and he'll never touch the artificial man-made synthetic material. He knows the real thing. Dad used to illustrate like this. He'd be a preacher on the second coming. He had him a pocket full of sticks. It's all the same color, same size. He'd throw them right out across the mourner's bench. And may I say, I appreciate that. I appreciate a mourner's bench. I'd go in church after church. It ain't even got one no more. He'd throw it out there. And he'd say, here's what's going to happen. He'd pull out a big magnet. And he'd come sweeping it right down across that old mourner's bench. And he'd come right across the top of it. 
And those unbeknownst to the people, some had a little piece of metal in them. And they'd go, choo, 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 choo. their mothers would just lay there. He said, that's the way it's going to be when the Lord comes again. Those that have the Holy Ghost in them, those that are born of the Spirit of God, we're heading out of here. We're going to be, hey, the steel of redemption is going to draw us to the magnetizing force of the Son of Almighty God. When he says, come up here, we're leaving out. Swiftly, secret. Let me say this, highly successful. You say, how do you know he got back successfully? Well, you've heard that story about that little boy flying that kite. He was a flying that kite, had it way up there in white clouds. He just stand up there, couldn't even see it. And the big old guy rolled up on a big car and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm flying a kite. He said, son, you, you don't even see no kite. He said, it's up there. He said, boy, how do you know it's up there? And he said, come here. He put that kite cord in that man's hand and it jerked like that. That wind was a pulling. He said, do you feel that tug? And that man said, yeah. He said, that boy said, that lets me know my kite's still up there and everything's all right. I sit over there a while ago and felt an unusual tug this morning. Let's me know everything's all right, brother. The comforter has come. The comforter is here. You remember a few years ago, you remember at the close of President Carter's administration, they had our boys held hostage in Iran. Remember they kept them for days and days and days and days. And, and uh, man, I mean, it was just awful, humiliating to our nation. And then you remember how they last minute ditch effort, they flew the helicopters in going to come in to rescue them. They flew too low. The ground sucked up the sand. Several men's lives were lost. And we were a laughing stop before the free world. Our men were still held hostage. But I've got news for this world. When Operation Rapture takes place, everyone that's born again and saved by the good grace of God, washed in the blood, there's not a one going to be left behind. It's going to be highly successful. <laughs> You know what? I believe the Holy Ghost. He's going to read the roll when we get there. And everybody says, going to get saved. Here I am by the grace of God. Over here by the grace of God. And then the Holy Ghost is going to say, Lord Jesus, these are those that the Father has given you. All the Father giveth unto me shall come to me. And he that cometh to me, I no wise will cast out. Here's your bride. Here's your bride complete. Here's you. Now, I want to come to a close. The consequences. The consequences of His coming again. If you're left behind, friend, if you're lost, it's going to be grave consequences for you. Grave, sobering consequences. Can you imagine if the rapture took place right now? Every saved person would vanish out of this building. Clothes, canes, artificial limbs would be left behind. I mean, we'd be gone, brother. Gone. Keys, parking lot full of cars. If you're here lost, you'd be left sitting right here in this building. Left behind. You think about it. Hospitals emptied out of the babies. Nursing work. Can you imagine if the pilots say, the co-pilots say, planes wrecking, trains crashing. They're going home to meet the Lord. There'll be grave consequences. It'll be, you'll be left behind. Then you'll have literal hell to go through. You're going to incur the wrath of God during the great tribulation period. The Antichrist, the mark of the beast, and all those things. And then the lake of fire to look forward to. That's when it's going to be great. But for those of us that are saved, it's going to be glorious consequences when Jesus comes again. He's going to resurrect the sleeping and rapture the living. You know where I'd like to be standing? If I could have three different choices. Number one, I'd like to leave the last soul to Jesus. 
Somebody's going to have the privilege. Some way or another, the Holy Ghost or somebody, he'll be working, but maybe somebody comes to the altar and you're working with them, you're praying with them. Before they can ever say in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Woo, we're God. Or be preaching on the second coming and just just preaching and all of a sudden the Lord comes. I couldn't be there like to be in Highland Memorial Cemetery. My granddaddy, an old white-headed Baptist preacher, an old preacher man up there. My daddy's buried over there. A lot of precious friends that were saved buried around that old graveyard. I like to be standing beside Dad's grave. If I could slow it down just a little bit, I could see Dad come out of there shouting, Oh, grave, where is thy victory? And I'd just begin to rise right behind him and shout, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Can you imagine when you see your loved ones that you planted? We didn't bury them. We didn't bury them. You bury something, get rid of it. You bury a dog. You, you, you bury an old cat that got killed. You plant your loved ones that are saved in hope of the resurrection. But can you imagine when you see them the next time? Authoritic bodies are straightened out. Oh, lame limbs are straightened. I mean, eyes that can see. And we rise to seize the everlasting prize and shout while passing through the air. Farewell, farewell, sweet apple. It's going to be glorious for those of us who are saved. Glorious. I want to give you one illustration and I'm through. We'll be going home. Be done. When I left the war a while ago, when I left that war, Lieutenant General Jonathan Wainwright and our men were prisoners of war. Many of our men died, were tortured to death. Some starved to death. They had them on the death ration, just enough to feed them to keep them alive. As MacArthur began to make his way up through the islands, coming up, coming back in, Japan knew, and it looked like they were going to lose, and they began to torture our men beyond human description, try to get out the last-minute details of the operation of MacArthur. And MacArthur, one night, he called in three of his best intelligence officers. He said, I've got the most important mission for you probably in the war. He said, I don't want you to kill nobody, I don't want you to capture nobody. But he said, we feel like we know where they're holding, Lieutenant General Jonathan Wainwright some of our highest officials. They want you to get to them. You've got to get in, men, if you'll volunteer for this mission. And those men did. They said it was raining that night. And they were coming up through those islands. They made their way through the storm. And they found the island where they felt like that's where Lieutenant General Jonathan Wainwright was. They got up there in the darkness of the night, watched the tents, the compound, figured where the most guards were, figured that's where the highest official was. Later that night, in the early morning hours, the men snuck in. They got in there. Probably cut their hands over his mouth. They said he was laying on a tick mattress. He had on khaki uniform, prisoner of war uniform. There hung his old general's jacket and his pants. And there was his old run-over combat boots and his brass and his turned to a tarnished green. They said his fingernails had grown out like an eagle's claw. His hair was all shabby. His beard was out in stubbles. And they said he was so weak and emancipated, he looked like a skeleton laying there. And when they put their hands over his mouth, probably his eyes opened in fear. And he, they was all in black and all, you know, camouflage. And they said, listen, we can't take you with us. But we're from MacArthur's headquarters, sir. And we've got a word for you from MacArthur. And his eyes probably said, say on, boys. And they said, sir, MacArthur said to give you this word. Tell our boys to hang on just a little while longer. Japan's ready to surrender any day. And we're almost here. MacArthur's almost got back up this far. Hang on a little while longer. Probably with that, they turned around and saluted that old general. And out in the night, they went. But the story goes on. Later on in morning hours, that old general's heart, that old soldier's heart began to stir. They said he got up and he took down. He said his own testimony was he took down that old uniform, shut the dirt off of it, 
took the brass off and laid it down. Laid it up under his little old tick mattress and laid down. Tried to put a crease in it. Took his old run over muddy combat boots and began to try to spit shine them the best he could. Took a broken toothbrush and began to try to spit shine that old dull tarnished metals that he had in his brass. And he cut his fingernails with his teeth. Tried to cut them somehow. Tried to get his hair combed. He tried to get ready the next morning when they brought the death ration in. He was standing there in full dress uniform, shoulders squared away. And he said, get that garbage out of here. Get it out of here. And they begin to say, he knows, he knows, he knows. It wasn't but a few days later on board battleship Missouri there in Tokyo Bay that Japan surrendered. And MacArthur was sitting there at the desk. And there was the Emperor of the Rising Sun. And they said the Emperor of the Rising Sun had that sword that symbolized the power. He was ready to surrender. MacArthur said nothing doing. He said, I want Lieutenant General Jonathan Wainwright. Bring him in. Bring him in. And I got a picture out there in my car where he was standing there. Standing there with his shoulders squared away. And they said the Emperor of the Rising Sun got out on his knees. He took that sword. And he said, I unconditionally surrender the kingdom of the Rising Sun. You have won the victory. And they signed the surrender papers. And MacArthur took that pen and he handed it to Lieutenant General Jonathan Wainwright. Don't you know? Don't you know that old general was glad he hadn't went hadn't quit, hadn't given away no military secrets, hadn't fell out by the way? My mind goes, Law, I get to thinking, one of these days on board, battleship, ship of Zion in Glory Harbor. I can see as we're getting, my Bible said every knee's gonna bow, every tongue's gonna confess that one of these days, the God of this world himself, his knees are gonna bow, he's gonna get out on his cloven feet, he's gonna take the sword of power and say, I surrender the kingdoms of this world, and he's gonna say, your Lord, you Lord, Lord, the devil's going to have to confess that. I'd like to be standing somewhere way back, way back in the background, saying hallelujah. I'm glad I didn't quit, didn't give up, didn't fall out by the way, but tried to fight the good fight of faith. I don't know what tent you may be in this morning. You may be in a tent of discouragement, a tent of defeat, a tent of depression. Down God's little old newsboy running down through here today saying, hang on a little while longer. Hang on a little while longer. Amen. He's coming. He's coming. I'm through preaching. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Musicians are coming. Pastor's coming. The middle's coming. Heads are bowed.